0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, our text is going to be verses 13 to 16. Now, last week we finished up our series of Christology. Behold, the wondrous mystery is what we entitled then. Now, we've been spending a number of weeks, of course, talking about the Godhead, talking about theology proper is what it's called, where you're specifically studying the person of God. We talked about the many attributes of God. We talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, His work, His person, what He does, what He does not do. We talked about Christ, His person and work, uh, to come to a greater understanding of God Himself. It is vital that the people of God have a right understanding of God. And that is, I can't stress that enough. That is the reason why we went through this series. We need to know who God is according to whom God said that He is. Now what we project upon God. There are many views of God today. People have all kinds of views. Well, I think God like this. And I think God like this. You have many Christians that say, well, I think that God is like this. Or they take one particular passage and they want to say, well, this is what God's like, and disregard all the other passages that express the holy attributes of God. So it was, it was vital for us to spend a number of weeks studying God Himself, according to whom God says that He is. It doesn't matter what we think, or who we think God is, it only matters what He said. And so, as we have finished up that series, now we are moving along... Into what's called angelology. Which is the study of angels. The study of demons. And going over this series of course we talk about how the holy angels uh, bring service to God. And what they do uh, in light of Him. And how they express the glory and majesty of God by their creation and all of that. We will discuss demons. Uh, That's a big topic as well that a lot of folks are interested in. Is demons and then Satan himself. Now... We do that because we want to have a right understanding of angels as well. We want to have a right understanding of, of demons, and how they work, how they operate. For example, there uh, and this is in popular culture today, that it is viewed that when a person dies and they go to hell, that the punishment that they receive in hell is by the hands of demons that are there ruling and reigning in hell. Now, you can go back as far as Dante's Inferno and you can see things like that already in the medieval church. I'll talk, I swear, in a minute. Medieval church. But those things were, were present there. But the fact of the matter is that there are no demons in hell at this particular time. There are certain demons that are being kept in chains because they left the first estate and we'll talk about that later. But the rest of the demonic forces of evil are not in hell. They are here on the earth. And the same with the angelic host. Of course, they are in the presence of God and then they do His bidding here on the earth as well. But there are no demons that are in hell that are punishing sinners because hell is not hell because you're being punished by a demon. Hell is hell because you are enduring the wrath of God. Uh, That also brings up some other things that are often said today about um, hell. And me and Barney were talking about this, I think, last week. The idea of hell being that, well, you're separated from God, and that's not true. uh, Because God's presence is in hell because it's His wrath that you're enduring. Now, at the time when we have the consummation of all things, and then you have Satan and his angels along with all the unregenerate being cast into the lake of fire, that is the final state, that is hell, Um, and the punishment will be endured by Satan as well. But there are no demons except for those specific ones that Peter and Jude referenced uh, that are in hell being kept in chains until the day of judgment. They're all here uh, on this earth. Another thing is, is that human beings, even though they may be very evil, do not become demons themselves upon their death. And that is very true of angels. And I understand, and and I'm not trying to offend anyone if we've said that before, and of course we've said it probably in the past of trying to bring comfort to other people, but you see it said a lot on uh, social media or by others perhaps in our own families, when someone dies and then you'll see someone say something like, well, they've they've gained their angel wings now. Or heaven has gained another angel. And that is simply not true. People do not become angels. Angels are a whole created uh, class of their own. Human beings do not become angels. At all. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. I'm kind of using it in a different way. But Charles Spurgeon was asked, I forgot how the question even came up about whether he would rather be a preacher of the gospel or a king. And Spurgeon's reply was, why would I stoop so low as to be a king when I could be this? And in the same way, it is, it's is—it's the same for believers. Why would we stoop that low to be an angel when we can be a son and a daughter of a king? So people do not become angels when they die. At all. Ever. Understand that very clearly. Also, uh, throughout this series, we'll talk, as we specifically get into demons, I should have had more holes or something, more cough drops or something. I don't know. We'll also be talking about the fact of demons and their activities on earth. We find a lot of times in the scripture that demons are active and what they're doing. And this brings up another subject, which is. Are ghosts real? Because a lot of folks think the ghosts are real. Well, what we find in the Scripture is that when a person dies, they either go to the presence of the Lord or they go to Hades, which is the holding place of the unregenerate, until the day of judgment. There is no staying on earth. It's either one or the other. So what then is it that people are seeing or that people are encountering that causes fear in them and all of this sort of thing? Demons. Sometimes it could be a comfort. Perhaps an angel. As the Scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 11, that uh, sometimes we entertain, or chapter chapter 12, that we entertain angels unaware. Some do. Uh, So we'll be talking about those things as well. Uh, And the reason for that is we want to have a right understanding of this as well because the Scripture mentions angels over 270 times. So if the Scriptures are going to mention angels that many times, then it's best that we have a right understanding of them also. There are indeed many different views in the world today concerning angels, and many world religions have ideas of angels. Angels and aeons and genies and, well, either genies or jinn, whatever you want to call them. Many world religions do have an idea or a view of angels. But we want to go to the Scripture. We want to understand it rightly. And there's various views within the Christian church as a whole. And I say that loosely. Because you have many believers that believe that angels are real. They are actual beings. But then you have some in the more liberal camp that would see, well, when it mentions angels, it's probably talking about more poetical kind of a language to express God's care for His people. Well, There were people, of course, in the time of our Lord who denied the existence of angels, the Sadducees. They denied the resurrection as well. Uh, They looked at the first five books of Moses and did not see any evidence of angels, and so that's what their authority was. But when you look at the first five books of Moses, you do see encounters with angels, specifically with Abraham, with Jacob, with Hagar. Actually, with Hagar. Let me take that back. With Hagar, it was the angel of the Lord, which would be Christ. Look at that as well. Many different views. We have <clears throat> ideas of guardian angels, <clears throat> of each person having an angel that is specific for them to help guard them. Well, where does that idea come from, and is it even true? Uh, those are the things we want to explore. Do we? Sometimes we hear of stories where <clears throat> God has dispatched an angel, or the, we hear stories of that. Uh, he is sent to protect a specific people or whatever. One that brings to mind is uh, John Patton, who is a missionary to New Hebrides. Uh, and he recounts in his autobiography <clears throat> that he was, of course, preaching the gospel to the natives, and the natives were cannibals. Uh, one night they had surrounded his house and they began shouting wildly and, and all of that, and he Figured that he and his wife were going to end up dying because there was no way they could defend themselves. So they got down and they prayed and they prayed and all of a sudden they were gone. And so about a year later, according to his account, about a year later, the chief of the village converts. And he becomes a Christian. And many others are being converted in the village. And so John Patton goes to the chief. He learned the language, of course. That while he was there, he was there for a number of years. But he goes to the chief and says, what happened that night? You all had surrounded my house, all of this, uh, and then all of a sudden you left. What happened? And the chief had said, well, we left because of the hundreds of big men that were surrounding your house. And he said, there was nobody. There was just me and my wife. He said, no, there were big men that were surrounding your house dressed in white. And we left. Could it have been... According to his account, another account that we hear of sometimes is is that of the White Calvary, World War One. Um, at the Battle of Bethune, the Germans were advancing. Uh, the British, and the Portuguese, were being taken down, and all of a sudden, one of the uh, officers in the German army, as they are advancing, looks over and sees this cavalry coming down. These men that are clothed in white, on white horses that are coming down. And so they turned their weapons to them and started to mow them down. And after the smoke clears, they're still there, and they're still at a slow trot coming towards the Germans. And so the Germans, being frightened, uh, left, and the British were able to hold the uh, buffoon there. Now, that is an account that is that was recorded back in 1947. 7, I think, 46, uh, by one of the ones that was supposedly there. Could it have been? Perhaps. Because we see that in Scripture as well. Specifically in Second Kings chapter 6, and I'll turn your attention there, and we'll look at it real quick. <clears throat> in Second Kings chapter 6, I'll jump in verse 8 here. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, the man of God being Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there, more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear for those who are with us, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So you see that kind of a thing even in Scripture. Where in this instance, you have this great army that is surrounding the city. And Elisha wakes up, his attendant wakes up. And his attendant is scared and frightened and said, well, what are we going to do? He said, don't fear, because we have more than they do. And then the Lord opened his eyes and let him see, and the whole mountain is filled with chariots of fire of the angelic host. Those things occurred in Scripture. Is it possible that it occurred in history such as in those instances? Absolutely. <clears throat> is there any way to verify some of those? Only by eyewitnesses. But they are still expressing the truth that is within the Scripture itself. <clears throat> the White Calvary, the angels that perhaps saved John Patton and his family. We have very many uh, titles that are given to angels in the Scripture. We're going to go over some of those today, but we have also uh, references to the elect angels, uh, those that did not sin. And when we think of angels, we need to understand that they have a mind and a will, and they act. Um, and we're going to go over a lot of these things, but uh, just to say for, from the outset that there are only three in Scripture that are actually named. Only three. Have Michael, Gabriel, and then of course Satan himself. Um, and I will say I did not say Lucifer because I do not think that his name is actually Lucifer. And the reason is because when you go to Isaiah 14 and you read in the King James Version, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Uh, Lucifer is a Latin word that means light bearer. Or morning star. He was referring to him by a title, not by a name. So that when you go to other translations that are coming from the Hebrew text, it's translated, O morning star or day star. So, Satan is the, the proper title for him as he is referenced by that in the Old Testament and in the New. Uh, and again, Lucifer is a Latin word that was inserted in there. So I don't think that his name is actually Lucifer, but it was a title of Morning Star. Let's look at this passage here uh, as our introduction introduction into this wonderful series here. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, of course, writing to the Church of Colossae, he's addressing a... A possible early form of Gnosticism, he's going to be addressing angel worship, which is another thing that goes on today as well. The Catholic Church has given their uh, parishioners the permission to uh, have the veneration of not only saints, but of angels as well. And if we just look to the Scripture, we we should understand that we are not at all to worship angels, and we are not to pray to angels, because angels cannot just work to do whatever we ask them to do. They are under the will of God and so we pray to God through Christ who is our mediator. There is no angel worship. There is no praying to angels. And when John fell down at the feet of the angel who was showing him the holy city and all of that, the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, as soon as John fell down, the angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant as you worship God. So There is no... Worshiping of angels, but this is something that the apostle is addressing here, and he is he is really bringing out uh, throughout this entire epistle of the priority of Christ, that he is first in rank above all, that there are none like him, and so he makes some very interesting statements here that we are going to look at, because the first thing we need to understand is about the creation of angels. So let's look at this Colossians chapter one, beginning of verse thirteen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Verses 13 to 16. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible Word of the living God. Let us hear the Word of the living God. For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by Him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank You for this portion of Your Word. We thank You for all the things that it teaches us concerning the the majesty of Christ, His creative acts. And Father, we pray that You would help us to to have a right understanding of the angelic host, that we would look to them properly, that we would not give them any more uh, veneration or honor uh, than what you have prescribed. Father, we thank you so much uh, for all the knowledge that you have given us concerning the things that we can't see. Father, move within our hearts and apply this text to our hearts that we would better serve You in understanding all the provisions that You have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Once again, you have the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Colossae. He gives thanks to them, and he is praying for them, he says. He says this to the church of Colossae, as he says to the church of Philippi and to Ephesus, in a different way, of course. But he says in verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He says this to the church of Ephesus in a different way. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling. He says very similar language to the church of Philippi. Paul's, his, his whole desire as he is pending these epistles is for the people of God to understand more about God, to understand more about his superiority over all things, because they're being introduced to others, uh, other ideas that are being prevalent within the church. And here, of course, he's going to be addressing the angels. But it's for the people of God to understand the superiority of Christ. Just as the writer of Hebrews did. The writer of Hebrews, Christ is above all. Paul is saying that here in in this epistle to the church of Colossae. He wants them to have a deep knowledge of God, to be endowed with spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to view all things through the lens of the Scripture. To have a right understanding of all the things that are in the world. Which include angelic hosts. To be strengthened with His power. power that has been given to us in the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So then he moves and he says this very thing after he tells the church to be strengthened with His power. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He begins to speak now of... The Lord Jesus Christ. And what Christ has done. These are things that we went over before. For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. These are things that we've been talking about lately. This is why Christ is superior. This is why Christ is unique above any other because it is Christ through His work in His life and in His death that He rescued us from the dominion of darkness transferred us to the light of His beloved Son. It is in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been brought into the family of God by the Son and now loved by the Father in the same way that he loves the Son because we are now in the Son. The kind of incomparable love that you have received is because of Christ himself rescuing you. Talks about his work, now it talks about his person that we've been over as well. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning first in rank is the idea there. Christ is the first in rank above every other. He is the image of the invisible God. This is the same language that the writer of Hebrews uses. It's the same idea that John gives us in John chapter 1, that Christ is the Word, that Christ is looking toward and in the presence of God the Father. Christ is God in the flesh. He says in verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. The fullness of deity. He also says that in chapter 2. So you have this recognition by Paul to the church. He is the one who is God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the first in rank. So let's go over, he says, His work, He redeemed you, He transferred you from the domain of darkness to light. He is the one who is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God's like, you look to Christ because He is God in the flesh. And not only is He attributing all these things to Christ to set up what He's getting ready to tell the church of Colossae, but then He goes into His creative acts. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. He's attributing all creation to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it. There's not anything that is left out, and John doesn't leave anything out as well when he speaks of the same thing in John chapter 1, verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Apart from Christ, there has been nothing that has been created that he didn't do. He created it all. The heavens, the earth, Everything that's in it is attributed to Christ. Christ is the one who done it. Now, why is this important? Well, the apostle again is going into his authority over all the angelic hosts. And what way can you express the authority that Christ, being God in the flesh, would have over the angelic host if you can express to them he's the one who created them? The creator is not equal with the created. And that goes for us as well, by the way. We think that perhaps that once we get to heaven, we're going to be like Christ in perhaps every way, and that's not true either. I really believe that we're going to spend all eternity learning even more and continuing to learn of the majesty and the splendor of Christ throughout all eternity. There will always be the difference between the Creator and the created. There will never be on equal, equal standings. That's a similar thing to what Paul's saying here. He's the creator of these angelic hosts. He's not equal with them. The writer of Hebrews, if you remember, he says, he poses this question, For to which of the angels did God say at any time, You are my son, today I have begotten you. But instead he says, Let all the angels of God worship Him, meaning Christ. Christ is the one who is worthy of worship, not any angelic host, they are created beings. But he uses this language here to express perhaps some classes of angels. Whether visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now many theologians throughout the history of the church have always viewed this perhaps as classes of angelic beings. Now you have, of course, a number of different ways that the angelic hosts are mentioned in Scripture. One by the word hosts. Because God is the God of hosts. Uh, the God of the armies. They are expressed as chariots. You have cherubim, seraphim, living ones. Uh, you have archangels. You, then you have this designation here of thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. And both of these are used to speak of holy angels and of the demonic forces as well. Perhaps these are... Uh, classes of angels. Are they listed in a way that is from uh, that is a descending order? I don't know. Is it an ascending order? I don't know. And those are things that we can't go too far with. But what the point of all of this is to say that of all the classes of angels that have ever been created and some that are not even mentioned here such as cherubim and seraphim and the living ones um, and the living ones that are in the book of Revelation are very similar to cher- uh, seraphim In the sense that they have six wings, in Ezekiel's vision, the very similar description uh, that is given in Ezekiel, as it does in Revelation, they only have four wings. Maybe they're uh, closer in, in, uh, as far as what kind of class of angel they are, the cherubim. We don't know. There are a lot of things that are mentioned about angels, and there's a lot of things that are not. And again, throughout the history of the church, you've been having a lot of debates. When were they created? That's a big question. Because we're being told here that Christ is the one who created them, so when did He create them? You now, you, you have a pretty safe bet to say, well, He created them sometime during the six days of creation. That's very plausible. Very likely. Because uh, there was nothing, and then He began to create. And, of course, Genesis chapter 1, He says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then He begins to say, And the earth was void and without form, and darkness was over the face of the deep, all of that. But then you have the Lord saying to Job, in Job 38, He says to Job, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, And I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what base, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sank together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So you have the Lord saying to Job that in the time that He created the heavens and the earth, that the morning stars sang for joy. The sons of God shouted for joy when He laid the cornerstone and sunk its bases into its place. Now, I think, my personal opinion, that they were created on the first day when it says And He created the heavens and the earth. When He created the heavens and the earth, the earth is void and without form. But that doesn't mean necessarily that the heavens themselves were needing to be redone or whatever. That He created the heavens and all that was in them and then focused His attention on the earth to begin to form it and do what He did. And in the sense, when He finally got to its final product, that these that were already created when He created the heavens and the earth initially shouted for joy and sang together. That could be. <clears throat> but they are... Created beings, and this is a very important thing to understand. Angels and demons can only be at one place at one time. You know, a lot of theologians throughout the history of the church are debating amongst themselves. You ever heard that? How many angels can stand on the head of a pin? Or uh, how fast do they go? Do they have a body? Um, how, how quickly can they move from one place to another? and and just a a variation of different things that they would debate throughout the centuries, which may be why um, it's not studied very much. But what this implies is if angels are created, angels are created beings, created by Christ, that also includes Satan. Satan is not exempt from what's being said here. Christ is the one who created Satan. Which means, Satan is not equal with Christ. Satan is not omnipresent like Christ. He is not all-powerful like Christ. He is not all-knowing like Christ. He is nothing like His Creator. He is no more like His Creator than we are. He can be in one place, at one time, And that's it. And it also implies too that Satan is working under the sovereign hand of God. We think that Satan can just go out and do whatever he wants. And that's not true either. That is simply not true. And we'll get into some of those things, especially in the book of Job. Satan is a created being. All the angelic hosts are created beings. And when God first created them all, He looked at all of His creation and He said, "...it is good." So that means and implies that the angels had not fallen yet. Because that's another source of debate. When did the angels that follow Satan, when did they fall? Well, There's various views on that. When did Satan himself fall? Because he was, according to Ezekiel 28, he was the anointed cherub. Is the title that's given to him. Against the backdrop of a judgment against the king of Tyre. But he was the anointed cherub who was put in the garden of God, is what is said of Satan, before he sinned and before he rebelled. How long was he in the garden before he rebelled? I don't know. I never told that. Was it that Satan was trying to take over heaven? I don't think that. Uh, Because even Satan, having wisdom as he does, would know better that he cannot conquer his creator. So what is it that Satan did in order to sin against his creator and rebel? That's a source of debate as well. But this does give us some encouragement to know something about him and all the angelic hosts. They are created. Now do they have a body? I don't know. They are spiritual beings. But every time that we find them in scripture when you have the Lord, the angel of the Lord and two angels with him coming to see Abraham or or some other instances there, they're in a body and they're always in, in the appearance of men. When they're given descriptions in other passages of scripture such as Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, Revelation, they have some sort of a body that is being described. What is their body like? I don't know. A lot of theologians during the Reformation time thought that they had some kind of a body. But again, a lot of that is just not clear within the Scripture. Now, this is an important thing to begin with as we are beginning this series. We want to know first and foremost that angels are created and they are created by Christ. They act and work under the sovereign hand of God. Whether they are elect angels or the angels that followed Satan that will endure the wrath of God. How many angels are there? That's a good question too. We're not told that. But... We do have some indications in passages of Scripture that there is no shortage of angels, without question. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, <clears throat> beginning of verse 1, <clears throat> Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the midst of ten thousand holy ones at his right hand. There was flashing and lightning for them. Ten thousand of his holy ones. Now, it's a pretty big number. But Daniel's number... Is even greater. In Daniel chapter 7, beginning of verse 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is talking about God. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. In Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is being arrested in the garden, here is what Jesus says to Peter, who is trying to defend him. <clears throat> Verse 53, <clears throat> well, back up to verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Now, a legion can be anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000. Some have estimated other numbers. That's a lot of angels. Twelve legions of angels, he says. And if you remember, in Mark chapter 5, you have the Gerasene demoniac. You remember that when Jesus went into the country of Gerasene, that when he got out of the boat, there was this man who was possessed, who was living among the tombs, Uh, No chains could bind him. Anytime that they would try to shackle him with chains, he would just break the chains. Um, And it says he was often bound that way, but he would just break them. It says constantly night and day he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. This is a man full of demons. Okay, He sees Jesus from a distance. He ran and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. So you have one man that is possessed By a legion of demons. And this is just one man. There are no shortage of demons either. I think the greater number is, of course, the angelic host. But in Revelation chapter 5, a passage that we've been over before. In verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands. When we're talking about the angelic host, the elect angels, the holy angels, are in much greater number than that of the demons that followed Satan. I think that's a general consensus among many theologians. But there is an innumerable number of these creatures. Of all classes, you have uh, Michael being referred to as the archangel, one of the chief princes, uh, as Daniel refers to him. you got Gabriel. You have, when the Lord does return, that there's going to be a shout in the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God will sound. Uh, these, these are different classes of angels that are innumerable. We don't know how many they are. We don't know how many demons that there are. But these are creatures that served the living God and the creatures that followed Satan, these demons that they are now called, these fallen angels, that are now trying to thwart the the will of God and bring evil and torment upon those that are on the earth. But here's, here's the main point of what Paul's saying. They are created. He is not. He is God and they are not. They have been created through Him and for Him. Even the angels that followed Satan are still doing the will of their Creator. Because it is Christ who is the visible image of the invisible God who is bringing all history to its intended end and He is using even Satan and his minions in order to bring it to that point. They are not equal with God. But that does bring up something else. Are they powerful? Absolutely. They are powerful. Are they powerful? More powerful than us? Absolutely. They are more powerful than us. Or are they more powerful than Christ? No. You have one angel in the Old Testament that slew 185,000. One angel. That did that. What was it, one angel as well, when David numbered the people of Israel when the Lord told him not to, that one angel killed 70,000? They are very powerful, without question. But these preachers are not to be worshiped because of the power that they have, they're not to be worshiped for their appearance, even though the, the elect angels of God are indeed. Is radiating with with holiness of God, as the seraphim are, they are not to be worshipped because of that. They are created beings that assist the people of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. They are ministering spirits sent out to the people of God. Sometimes they bring messages. Sometimes they bring visions to the people in the old covenant under the old covenant. They help reveal the, the revelation of God in the Old Testament. They bring messages to to some within the Scriptures of Daniel. And the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, I would have been here sooner, but the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece withstood me. And I had to call for Michael to come help me. Talking about demons. So you have... So <clears throat> you have... Angels that carry messages, as they did to Joseph and as they did to Mary. They are ready at any moment to do the will of God. Some of them guard the very throne of God. Some of them are ready at any moment for His bidding to worship their Creator and to bring Him honor. They are not to be venerated. They are not to be looked at in a greater sense of awe than their Creator. There are many classes of angels as we're seeing. Who's the greater than the other? I don't know. But either way, they are doing the bidding of God. And in the coming weeks, we're going to study specific things that these angelic hosts do for the people of God under the Old Covenant, for the people of God in the New Covenant, about demons themselves. What is it that they can do? What is it that they are seeking to do? And a very natural thing would be to cause the people of God. They know they can't get to the people of God because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Can they get to the people of God and Tempting them to, to go off the path of righteousness? Sure. Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You give him any leeway, he can do that. That's what the apostle Paul says to husbands and wives in 1 Corinthians 7. Don't give Satan an opportunity. So, in the coming weeks, we will be discussing this topic to a greater extent. This is just an introduction into this series, and I pray that before next Lord's Day, that you're going to look up a number of other passages of Scripture <coughs> and start studying these things on your own as well. We will stop here. We will pick it back up next Lord's Day. Let's stand if you will. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we thank You. We thank You first and foremost that there are none like You. No angel has ever died for anyone. No angel understands what it is like to have their Creator to die for them. They don't understand those things. They've never experienced that kind of love that You have shown to us in Christ. And so we thank You for this wonderful gift of bringing us into the family of God, not to just be servants, but to be sons and daughters of the King. To be heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And this also no angel could ever know. I pray in the coming weeks as we study this topic that you would help us to just have a right understanding of things to see the the unseen world through the pages of scripture to understand that angels and demons are very real they are not fabrications of our mind but that they are indeed real and they work and they act according to your will Father, thank You once again for the knowledge that You have granted us of those that are uh, other than us that You have created that it shine forth Your glory and Your majesty and express the very holiness of God. They reflect upon You, bringing all the attention back to You. So we thank You for them. We thank You for all that they do for us that we may never even know because You sent them. Father, be glorified in us. Give us excitement in the coming weeks. To study this particular topic. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.